One. What's good? The Lord is good. It's good to be back to the Lord Jesus Christ, giving all honor to him. Thanks to Pastor Conway uh, for continuing to befriend me and continue to allow me to come and stand behind the sacred desk to one community for continuing to stay in your seats and not march out all at once. Um, thank you all for being family uh, away from the East Coast. And uh, I just want to say that I got a little pendant up here. Actually, as, as I was already scheduled to come here to preach, uh, my aunt passed away. And uh, so I was able to go to the funeral. So if you think about it, the Johnson family could use your prayers. The Johnson family could use your prayers. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask for the Lord's help and then we'll dive in. <clears throat> uh, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's in me. I'm going to say bless the Lord. Father, just thank you for your kingship, for your reign. Thank you that you've made many of us citizens of that kingdom. We were born in darkness and then you transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved son lord jesus we thank you for your supremacy how you scoffed at the demons as you went to the grave and then got up and we pray that you who ascended will come back quickly we you, we know you're coming back we pray that you would hasten the day. <laughs> and we pray it. As we go in your word, we're asking for help for the preacher and for the listener. And if there's anyone in here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus, may the proclamation of who he is woo them, draw them, and rescue them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Though unfamiliar to many... You should know the name George Lyle. <clears throat> he became one of the first ordained black Baptist ministers in America. Eleven years before William Carey, noted as the father of modern missions, Lyle was making disciples and even planting churches. He played a key leadership role in what became the organization of the first black church in America in Savannah, North Carolina, South Carolina, in Georgia. So impactful was he that when he got saved within two years, he became a traveling evangelist and preacher. So many converts were coming in, both white and black, that his master, Henry Sharp, allowed him to purchase his freedom so that he could fulfill the cause of Christ. Unfortunately, after he died, his kids tried to re-enslave him. And so he sort of figured, I'm not going to go back that way. <laughs> Let me go across to Jamaica. And he went to Kingston, Jamaica, where Lyle was at it again. <laughs> He had to work off his indentured servitude because what it took to get him to Jamaica was a kind of money that he would have to work off. But within two years of going to Kingston, Jamaica, he was already back to preaching the gospel and planting churches. In 1814, Baptist churches were all throughout Jamaica with about 8,000 members. 
few years later, there were over 20,000 believers. What's the point, preacher? The point is that George Lau, for many, he is one of the fathers of modern missions because regardless of his chains or running from the threat of being rechained, he insisted that he would give himself to the cause of Christ. I bring him up because we need whatever he had in us. We need a determination that regardless of what's trying to hold you down or hold you back, that we're going to be resolved to keep going forward. I'm here to talk to you about getting help in the face of your hindrances. I want to be able to talk about triumphing over your chains. And so my task was, yes, that my task was preach on a biblical hero. And we know that Jesus is the hero of every biblical passage and every biblical book. So our biblical heroes are those human beings who display the character of Christ and the commitments of Christ in their lives. So I decided to cheat and just go for Paul because there's no doubt about Paul. Paul, a great apostle. Paul, a prolific writer. Paul, a great intellect. Paul, a great theologian. But I really want to focus on Paul, the prisoner. Paul, the prisoner, a champion in chains, a champion in chains. And I want to help the church today because the church can triumph over their chains because God gives divine help in the midst of all their hindrances. The relevance here is Obvious. We're in a day where from COVID to some feeling of actual or perceived oppression or the need for liberation, actual or perceived. We're in a day where people are trying to figure out, will I continue to be what God has called me to be? Will I continue to do what God has called me to do in the face of all the things that have come against us? I think this is very relevant. So I get to obey the assignment by looking at a biblical hero, and I get to tailor make it to this cultural moment, this social moment, a moment where we are facing obstacles. I want to start by looking at Ephesians chapter 3. If you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, 1 to 13. And I'm going to lift out at least five things that I think Paul displays for us that make him suitable as this morning's biblical hero. Paul understood going. Paul understood grace. Paul understood gospel. Paul understood God. And Paul understood glory. Let's read the text. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. As it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you which is your glory. Paul a champion in chains. First thing I want you to notice in the text is that Paul understood going, going. He starts off for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Everything in the Bible is relevant. Everything in the Bible is relevant. The way Paul starts off this piece is like he often has started off what we call the prison epistles. The prison epistles are a cluster of letters that Paul wrote from lockdown. And while he was on lockdown, he penned some things for the people of God. Paul, he starts off by identifying himself as a prisoner. In other words, Paul can relate to you this morning. Paul can relate to me this morning. Paul says, I know what it's like to be in chains. I know what it's like to be hindered. I know what it's like to be wrongfully in chains. I know what it's like to be wrongfully uh, stopped from doing what God has called you to do. But guess what? I'm in chain, but the word of God is not. Paul, we're talking about Paul, a champion in chains. <laughs> he understood going. Now, when I say going, I'm really just using that to talk about something that would go back to what has been tagged the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Perhaps you've heard of it. Matthew 28, at the end of Jesus's life in the Gospels, as recorded, when he was resurrected and he was about to ascend and usher in the church age, the Lord Jesus gave this lasting and last sort of commission to his disciples. What does he say? Go into all the nations and make disciples. Go, go, baptize, teach them, identify them with what I've got going on and I'm with you. That's called the Great Commission. Now let me just wax eloquent real quickly because somebody has rightly noted that go is not what we call the imperative. The text does not say go as the main verb. If I could just get, again, I could get nerdy, biblically nerdy right now. Somebody said, no, that's not what it says. The main verb, the imperative, the main directive, the thing that God tells us to do is make disciples. But guess what? There's something called participles in the Greek language and the participles attached to the main verb to not tell you what to do, but how to do it. I'm glad I got an amen corner. <clears throat> in other words, the first thing you need to do if you're going to obey the call to make disciples is you got to go. <laughs> and yet going implies mobility. Going implies motion. And here we meet Paul in chains, trapped to a Roman prisoner around the clock. So what kind of going does Paul know about? Paul says, actually, my chains have 
caused the advance of the gospel. The gospel is still going. He says, I talk to every guard that I'm attached to. In fact, in Philippians 1, he says, the whole imperial house has heard the gospel because of my chains. I'm talking about Paul. He recognized that actually going is a mindset before it is a motion. And any motion that carries out his mission fulfills the nature of this going. Paul knew something about going. Even the reason why he is a prisoner here is because he had been going and he had been going to do what Christ had caused him to do. In other words, Paul can relate to us this morning and Paul is a good study this morning because Paul knew something about going, going to do what God has sent all his people to do. Now, what, what, how can we, how can we, how can we join Paul in this? Well, I see at least two things in the text. One, you must be captivated by Christ and you must be committed to a context. You must be captivated by Christ and committed to a context. You say, where's that? Well, one, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. In other words, he had been captured, but he doesn't say I'm a prisoner of Rome, though it was Rome that had him on lock. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. In other words, Paul was a prisoner of Christ and therefore he was willing to be a prisoner for Christ. Ah, mm. oh, he was already captured by Christ and therefore he was willing to be captured by Rome. Oh, you'll never be a prisoner for Christ. You'll never be a sufferer for Christ. You'll never be an evangelist for Christ unless you're first captivated by Christ. Jesus has to have you. If only the church is what you're into because the church historically has been good to us. If only the church is what you're into because your best friends are there. The cutest girls are there. The handsomest boys and the most talented orators are there. When the church goes south, you'll go south. But if you're attached to the Lord Jesus like Paul the prisoner, <laughs> you will say, I am a prisoner of Christ, therefore I can be a prisoner for Christ. But not only that, it says, on behalf of you Gentiles. On be he says, I'm not just a prisoner of Christ, I do what I do on behalf of the context, the Gentile context. Paul elsewhere called himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. He meant you're not more Hebrew than me. <clears throat> Every now and then there's something called the Hebrew Israelites today, black Hebrew Israelites, and the black Hebrew Israelites boast in their Hebrewness. <laughs> Paul would step in the room and say, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. <laughs> okay, what's up? You what y'all want to trade? Okay. Circumcised on the eighth day? Got you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He says, I'm from Benjamin. What's good? What's good? We're the fighting tribe. <laughs> What's good? What's good? Uh, he says, hey, uh, what I do is law? You talk about law? Come on, I dot every I and I cross every T. I'm so zealous that I persecuted the church. In other words, Paul says, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, why is it that God has sent the Hebrew of Hebrews to the Gentile of Gentiles? 
You know why? Because God put in him something to make him say that is the context for which I have been called. So it doesn't matter what my ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what my background is. Though God uses all of these things, what he's saying is put somebody on my heart and I'm there, God. I'm there, God. You might sense that you have a specific drive for a context. Plano is a context. One community is a context. Make the most of your service to the ones you live around and the ones you gather with. Some of you say, I want to go and reach an unreached people group. Somebody overseas that's never heard the gospel before. Some say, I I want the underserved communities in the states. Give me the underserved, the underserved communities in the states because I have and therefore I want them to have. Some of you say, I'm going to the prison. I want to reach the prisoner because I relate to the prisoner. Some say, give me the single mothers. I want the single mothers to hear about the Jesus who will introduce them to the heavenly father who will never leave you nor forsake you. Somebody says, give me the troubled teens. I know I have teens and so I want to help with troubled teens. Some of you say, give me the athletes. I used to ball or I still ball and I want to reach people like me. In other words, if you're captivated by Christ, he always ignites a passion in you for some context. Paul knew something about going, knew something about going. Well, not only that, Paul knew something about grace. Paul knew something about grace. And he knew that even if we call him a biblical hero, it's not because he was great, but it's because he was graced. (laughs) Oh, not because he was great. It's because he was graced. Look at verse 2. I assume that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Perhaps you've heard about grace before. You say grace is God's unmerited favor. We come up with little catchy acronyms. God's riches at Christ's expense. That grace is when God gives you what Jesus is filled with and full of for your benefit because you were bankrupt of those things. Oh, the Bible says it's by grace you're saved. It says through faith, this not of yourself. God dug into the faith bag and dispensed some grace on us. So that we would open our eyes. You remember the man who said, I believe, but help my unbelief. You got any more grace in your bag, Lord Jesus? Because I need some of it. Because I believe, but I I need help with my belief. Let me be talking about grace this morning. Well, in the Bible, grace is more than just uh, flat. It is expansive. First of all, grace gives you the privilege to serve Christ the King. He calls it the stewardship of God's grace that was given me for you. Paul knew he wasn't the originator of the mission. He wasn't the originator of his skills. He wasn't the originator of his capacity to do great things for God. No, he was just a participator, not an originator. (laughs) He wasn't an owner. A stewardship means that you don't own it. You just are entrusted with it. I used to want to own a Chick-fil-A. I figured that was a nice hustle. A nice flip. Said, so let me go and check my bank, my piggy bank. Okay, let's see how much I need more. And then I found out you can't own a Chick-fil-A. You can just operate it. They say you can't own the Chick-fil-A. 
but you can participate in benefiting from the Chick-fil-A. Jesus says, you can't own what I am the owner of, but I'll make you a steward, a participant in it. And he will give you the gracious privilege to participate. My friend just went through like a four-year process trying to become a participator in the franchise of Chick-fil-A. It's not something you waltz up and say, I have the money, I want to run your Chick-fil-A. They don't even do that. It's a vetting process. You feel grateful when they say, okay, you can operate a Chick-fil-A. Anybody hungry this morning? And they're in church like they should be today, not open, but I'm thinking about those biscuits. Grace gives you the privilege to serve Christ. People, it's something called easy believism. Easy believism is something that emerged when people started believing that salvation was all about the right like the, the, the right spill. Like if you could get the right, like right band and you can get the right preacher and you can create the right ambiance that you could com- produce a conversion. And so people were like, God will just take anybody any old way. And the Bible says, no, it's by grace that God gives you the okay to come in and participate. Don't get it twisted. But not only that, by grace, you get power. Not only do you get the privilege to serve him, you get the power to serve him. You know, it is called grace when God gives you what it takes to pull off what you pull off. It's not just gift. (laughs) Gift makes it sound like a talent. (laughs) But the gift is also a grace. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 2, 7 to 9. Paul says, when they, and he's talking about the, 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 the pillars of the church, the influential, he called them. He says, when they saw that I had been entrusted, there's that stewardship word, I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's another word for Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Peter is a influential. <laughs> He's an influencer. <laughs> Peter, he says, and when James and Cephas and John perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. In other words, listen to the way Paul describes what he does. He describes it as they saw grace was on me. They saw that a gracious power was on me to excel among the Gentiles. I would go into a synagogue and try to like build with the Jews. And guess what? Oftentimes they would run me out of Dodge. He says, but then I brushed the dust off and said, well, I'm going to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles celebrated what they berated. The Gentiles were excited when I went to the Jerusalem council and I argued about their inclusion on equal grounds. And people said, no, they have to follow the customs of Moses. And they said, no, you don't have to follow the customs of Moses. They need to place faith in our Messiah and not Moses. But again, Moses is nice, but there's a new Moses. There's a better Moses. His name is Lord Jesus Christ. He says, now you come and the Gentiles got excited because the church ate mend what Paul was saying what I'm here to tell you is grace gives you the privilege to serve grace gives you the privilege and the power to serve you need power you and I need power we're talking about trying to be champions in chains we're talking about not being hindered we're talking about continuing 
William Carey to use him again, father of modern missions. He says, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And we say the same to you. Expect great things from God. Amen. He's a great God. And attempt great things for God. Amen. He's worthy. But what we're going to tell you is, don't run out without the power. And that's what Jesus told his disciples. He says, wait for what my father promised. The Holy Spirit who gives power. Grace also gives you the passion you need. John Knox used to say, give me Scotland or I die. You ever felt that way? So passionate for someone that you're like, I'm consumed with the idea of having success in the gospel for them. Oh, let's not get casual. Some of you are the product of much prayer and much toil and much travail and much coming back and having it again and saying, I'm sorry. And you came to Christ because someone had a passion to see you reach and I reach for Christ. Hudson Taylor, he says this in terms of his missionary exploits uh, with the uh, with the Chinese. He said, if I had a thousand lives, China should have them. He said, no, not China, but Christ. In other words, for the sake of Christ, he wanted to reach China. He gives you that passion. One, are you going? Do you have the grace? Do you have the passion? Jesus gives you power. He not only understood going, he not only understood grace. You see that Paul understood gospel. He understood gospel and he understood that the gospel is primarily about we, not me. Oh, you're quiet this morning, but listen, the gospel is not primarily about me. The gospel is primarily about we. Most of us think of the gospel as the good news that God saves me. We sing it all the time, don't we? Just for me, just for me. Jesus came and did it. Thought I was finished. Just for me. We say thank you. And that's a true statement. But the gospel is not primarily about just for me. It's just for we. We think about personal salvation. But in Bible, it's always about collective salvation. Look. The text goes on to talk about something called the mystery. Four times in this par- in this paragraph, you're going to see something about the mystery. In verse 3, he says, I'm going to tell you about the mystery that was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Verse 4, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 6, he tells you what the mystery is. And verse 7, he says, so of this gospel that produced this mystery, I have been made a minister. What is the mystery? In English, a mystery is something that you don't know. It's not known. You say, I don't know. It's a mystery. Do you know? No, nobody knows. It's a mystery. But in the Greek, mysterion, from which we get the word mystery, the mystery is not something that's not known. It's something that is now known. It's something that was not known, but it's now known because it's now been revealed. In other words, God has made known something that he wants you and I to take hold of and recognize that he's been storing this up to lay it on people at the right time. Look at what the text says. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse five, 
which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is the mystery? Verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is the church. Oh, oh I'm almost finished. The mystery is the church. Now, you and I, we're so used to church, we think we have church on lock. We think there's nothing new to learn about the church, but the church is God's grand reveal the gospel is not about me it's about this we that god constructed it's about the church it's about fellow heirs not just heirs it's about fellow partakers of the promise not partakers of the promise it's not just about you getting some jesus it's about we getting jesus together that's the big deal that's his big deal some of us, it's more than just personal piety. Praise God for your personal devotion. It's more than just your singular salvation. It's more than just your individual religious impressiveness. All I'm saying to you, you look in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Oh, we hear that? We shout. Oh, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Chapter 2, he says, and by grace you are saved. Whoa. By grace, I am saved. Yeah. Chapter two, verse 10. And you are his workmanship. Whoa. I'm his workmanship. Mm, help me, Holy Spirit. And all this you talk, you think it's singular. You think it's you. You know, all those yous are plural. In other words, what God is doing is looking at a mass of people that he has redeemed and gathered up by the baptism of the spirit and says, and you, 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 in other words, we, 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 not just me, me, me. Now it is me. It's just not primarily me. In other words, the church is God's big reveal. And if you were to read in Ephesians, it's all about him tearing down walls to make sure that this we is made up of Jews and Gentiles, people who were enemies. Enemies have become friends and aliens and, and, and foreigners have become family uh, and, and orphans have become children. That's all in Ephesians chapter 2. And now he says, I bring my, my family around the table and I tell them that you will be my new humanity. You will be my new society. When people come to church, they ought to see something different than what's in the world. In the world, it's marked by disunity, hostility, alienation, inequality. He said, he said, you were called Gentiles or circumcised, uncircumcised by the circumcision. They used to call you names. He said, but now you who are far off, you've been brought near. In other words, the church is the place where people who are outcasts in the world come here and feel like they belong. It's where this place is supposed to be marked by togetherness, not beef. Togetherness, unity, harmony, not just unity under the same roof, but harmony in the same network of a family. Equality, not ups and downs. That's how we got the black church, isn't it? Because the black church allowed black Christians to come, but they had to go to their section. And Richard Allen said, enough is enough. And so Richard Allen, Absalom Jones and the rest said, we're going to go and form the AME, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, because we want to be in a place where we're equals. Oh, y'all are quiet. 
In other words, this good news, he says, this gospel produced this mystery. And so that's the good news that brought about this big news. And the only reason why all of this makes sense is because it says he didn't say it for so many years. All those great men were never entrusted with the grand reveal. You know how you are about secret rollouts. You're like, nope, I'm waiting on Christmas Eve. I'm going to pop the big or I'm going to say the big or I'm going to announce the big. And if somebody were to get ahead of you and say, that's not the way I wanted to roll it out. Why did you say something? I've been waiting. I was going to do it on the 4th. I was waiting. I was going to do it on her birthday. I was waiting. In other words, the fact that Paul says, and he did not reveal this to the generations before, but now through the apostles and me, least of all. Look what Paul said. I got the exclusive. Verse 7 of this gospel. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. The grace was given. He says, no. He says, God skipped over Moses, the teacher. He didn't let Moses do this. Skipped over David, the psalmist. David didn't get to do this. Skipped over Isaiah, the prophet. Isaiah didn't get to do this. Skipped over Daniel, the visionary. Daniel didn't get to do this. This sounds like a song, doesn't it? Skipped over John the Baptist. The preacher didn't get to do this. Not even Jesus chose to do this. Paul says, but me and the apostles. He said, and Peter needed a vision and the sheet had to come down three times. And James needed a Jerusalem council to work it out. He said, and John needed to go with me to Peter to Samaria. And he got a little vague image of it. But I, the least of these, Paul, I told you, Paul is a biblical hero. Because Paul had the unique privilege of giving us the mystery. What is the mystery? The church, the equality of the people of God The unity and the harmony of the people of God. And again, this is relevant today. Is it not? The world doesn't know. Nor the church seems to be able to know how to be the church. We're struggling. We're separating. We're going back to our corners and silos. And all I'm here to do is remind you that that's a chain. And we can triumph over our chains because he gives help in the face of hindrances. Okay, there we go. The gospel is more about we than me. The church is God's mystery. The good news that produce the mystery is the big news, the, the grand reveal. And Paul understood this. But Paul also understood God. Paul understood God. He understood going. He understood grace. He understood gospel. And he understood God. Because look what it says. God is the treasure, not the means to it. Look what he says about Jesus here. The grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, God's plan, God's plan, God's plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. He says, this is what God's been cooking up. He understood that God had a plan. So God is more into his church than often we are. God is in. He says, these are the unsearchable riches. God is not a means to your wealth. God is the wealth. He's not a mean to your riches. He himself is the riches, or the riches, is the riches. Jesus is not a means to the treasure. That's why when you come here, at least, we preach Christ from anywhere in the text. While you come here, we sing about Christ from any part of the hymnal, as though it were. We follow Christ. We give you Christ. We lead you to Christ. And we invite you to come into our homes where we eat around the idea that Jesus Christ is Lord even over our food and water. He understood God as the treasure. One, what you think about God today? Is he the man upstairs? Or is he the rallying point? Lastly, think about he understood God, but he also understood glory. And that All the glory belongs to him. And that God has chosen to get glory in the church. Oh, quiet. Mm. It's okay. Because I'm almost finished. He understood glory and he's decided to get that glory through us. Look what the text says. Verse 10. So that through the church... (laughs) All this wisdom talk, I mean, this mystery talk confusing you. He says, well, let me just say it through the church. The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purposes. You know, they say the church is not plan is, is a plan A. There is no plan B. This was the eternal purposes. God didn't do this like, okay, now what I'm going to do? Oh, okay, I'll make a casserole out of the leftovers and a stew out of those. Yeah, because the meat didn't come out that good, but that's all right. I'll pull it in a goulash. No, the the church was his entree. (laughs) It says, so that God could show off the manifold wisdom. This was according to the eternal purposes that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I comment real quickly on this era? This era is the era of drifting and deconstruction. This is an era marked by drifts and deconstructing. I have a lot of friends that loved Jesus 10 years ago, love him less today. I have a lot of friends that went to church 10 years ago and do not go today. I have a lot of friends that believed in Christianity as the place where we follow Jesus Christ and today they believe in something different. And what they will tell you is that somebody hurt me or somebody was inconsistent or something in the church was broken or something, something, something. Well, I'm telling you the bible says the church may be one of those places you say i can't live with them but guess what according to the eternal purposes you can't live without us this is the era the era of what's called the nuns they say the largest religious affiliation is the nuns n-o-n-e-s they have no affiliation these are the people who say stuff like i like god i just don't like the church 
I want Jesus. I just don't want his bride, though. They don't say it like that. <laughs> they don't say it like that. But I always say, so you don't want his bride, what you're saying. And they say, no, no, no. I'm just saying, right? No, if you don't want the church, you don't want his bride. Uh, yeah, these are the people. These are the people who will say, yes, yes, yes. Give me religion. But uh, well, give me spirituality, but I don't need religion, you know. And so the. the, the It seems like they want to deconstruct what's harmful, but in its place, they never seem to reconstruct what's helpful. Seems they sidestep the mission because they're mad at the man or woman of God. And now we're getting so individualistic and the phones are improving, so we're we're threatening to stay individualistic. Because in my hand is a world that's curated for me to be so pretty that why would I look up at you? As we walked the strip last night at all the restaurants, it was amazing to see how many people were face to face looking in their phones. Across from the date, both had their phones. Neither talking to one another. He said, God has determined to get glory from the church. Don't give up on the church. Paul gave us the mystery that God wants Jews, Gentiles, whites, blacks, Democrats, Republican, this, that, A's and B's, C's and D's, males and females to come together. God desires to flex through his church. God is getting glory through his church. And the church is not just you on fire. That would be like a piece of charcoal. Talking about something. I could get hot. Light me up. And I'm match light. So you don't even need to just, just light a match. See, look, I'm orange. Singular charcoal might get hot. But it can't cook a meal. So you were designed to be with other charcoal so that you could create a fire that can cook a meal. The church is God's way. And he says he's showing off God's multicolored church is the way God flexes his multicolored wisdom. God wants to show off. And it says he's showing off for the, the spiritual beings. Those are the people that, you know, you got the angels and they're marveling like, wow, I never believed that. I was, I've been looking intently to see this. And the demons who've been laughing at him, he says, look, my manifold wisdom. And you know how I Instagram is. Instagram is where you post what you want people to see. The church is what God wants people to see. Let him get his glory. Let him get his glory. Paul understood going. Paul understood grace. Paul understood the gospel. Paul understood God, and he understood that God wants the glory. I close putting another person that you should know on your radar. The wife of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Baptist minister. Charles Spurgeon's wife is named Susanna Spurgeon. And she was known to be an invalid most of her life. She could hardly move. Well, 
after a botched surgery that almost sealed the deal. And she was so bad off that her motto became suffering instead of service. See that? The chains. And she said, this has become my daily portion. Well, some time after reading Charles Spurgeon's lectures to my students, which is a classic book, I recommend it to you. She said, I wish all the ministers in England, he was from England, all the ministers in England could have a copy of this book, but many of them are too poor. He said, well, why don't you come up with a way to make sure that they get this book? To which she not only used her own money to buy a hundred copies, though she was not rich, but she started something called the Book Fund. And the Book Fund would provide complimentary copies to local pastors and parishioners. In one year's time, she distributed over 3,000 copies of theological books to the impoverished pastors. Nine years later, 71,000 had been released. And when she died, over 200,000 copies had gone to people. In other words, her invalid state did not hinder her going spirit. Paul reminds us that the church can triumph over chains because God has given divine help in the face of our hindrances. Let's be what he's called us to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. Gracious God and Father, we pray that Christ who shed his blood on Calvary to redeem a people and then place him them in his we, in his collective body, will get what he paid for. And that we would be local expressions of it everywhere we go as we rally with our local churches and as we show off the glory of Christ in our clusters. Would you help one to see a revival of exuberance around Jesus and his bride? And may we be what you called us to be, chain or no chain. In Jesus' name, amen.